Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com O women, be heralds of good news and tell what you saw. Tell of the vision and say to Zion, accept the good news of joy from us, the news that Christ has risen. Exalt and celebrate and rejoice, O Jerusalem. Seeing Christ the King coming from the tomb like a bridegroom. Christ is risen, indeed he's risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And today, as you heard in my opening statement, it was actually a prayer from the Resurrection Matin Service of the Byzantine Church. Today is Ladies' Day at Light of the East. Ladies, you get in free. So, gentlemen, just remember that. Bring a lady and they get in free to Light of the East today. Because today in the Byzantine calendar is called the Sunday of the Myrrh-Bearing Women, in which we feature the place of women in this whole event of the resurrection. In fact, their place of women in life and the church itself. And on that note, we've invited ladies here on Ladies' Day to be our guests on Light of the East. We welcome not only Katie Goulis, but also the sisters, the nuns, from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery in Burton, Ohio, which is a monastery of the Eparchy of Parma, which happens to be my eparchy, where Bishop John Kudrick is the bishop. Welcome to Light of the East, sisters. I'm Mother Theodora. I'm Sister Julie. I'm Jesse. And Christ, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Well, first of all, on this day of the murmuring women, Tell us a little bit about your monastery. And I'm going to turn things over to Katie, because I think it's very appropriate, because she's a woman. And we'll have women to women here. Kind of like the view, the Byzantine answer to the view. How's that? All right. I'm only doing this if I get to be Barbara Walters. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. So let's start with uh, what Father Tom said. Could you tell us a little bit about your monastery, a little bit behind the name and what you do and what your vision and mission is there? Our name... um Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, I really believe, as any monastery was inspired by the Holy Spirit. One of our missions is to reclaim the spirituality you know, of the Church and the sense of Christ being the Bridegroom of the Church and trying to clarify that more and to live it out in a realistic way for everyone that comes to our monastery so that they would be able to experience 
Christ that intimately, you know, when they come. So that's one of our missions. On April 3rd of this year, we have been in existence here at uh, in Burton for three years. It doesn't feel like it, but actually feels less than that, thank God. Tell us a little bit about the day-to-day life in the monastery. What What do you do? What do you do from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night? Oh, boy, what do we do? We, uh, we pray matins at... 6.15 in the morning, and that goes on for about an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes. Then after that, we have an hour of personal prayer time, and then we have breakfast, and we meet, and then we do some work. And so at, at 9 o'clock, we pray third hour, and then we pray the sixth hour at noon. We pray the ninth hour at 3 and in between, we, we do our work. Then we pray at Vespers at 5 o'clock and usually have dinner after that. And then we try to do something like studying or um, some recreation. And we pray Compline at 9 o'clock. And then from 9 o'clock till the, the uh, third hour at 9 a.m. the next day, we keep silent. So that's you know basically the, our prayer day. And then our work rotates around our prayer and that's and also people that come you know and they come and visit so that's kind of you know offering hospitality to whoever comes to our door you know father tom a lot of people ask us about what the place of women is in the church so i'd be interested to hear from our wonderful female monastics what they think the place of women is in the church in the eastern catholic church and in the church in general well i think that a beautiful Part of the vocation of a woman is her her qualities of being welcoming and listening, and that's especially played out in our monastic life because hospitality is a huge part of our life. People come to pray with us, to eat with us, just to visit or talk with us, and this gift God has given us as women of um, of being motherly and welcoming, opening, listening to them is healing for people, even if we don't have a lot to say, even if we can't fix their problems. Just welcoming them into this safe and loving place uh, gives them a great gift and helps them to experience Christ in a deeper way. I think also as, as females, we, we show the world how to be receptive, kind of going along with what Sister Julie was saying, our our very bodies, you know, are imprinted with, with that receptivity, and they speak to to the, the very gift that God has given humanity of being able to be open and receptive to Him. And so we show that to each to each guest that walks through the door how to be receptive and how to be to be open and to be welcoming through hospitality. And I think though too, being that it's the Sunday of the Holy Myrrh Bearers, it was the Holy Myrrh Bearers in their femininity that showed great courage, greater courage than the apostles who were hiding. So I think in, in that particular time set with animosity really permeating the, the atmosphere that they still had the courage to be who they were, the gifts that they were, and what gifts they had and, and brought them to Christ not knowing, you know, what you know, they would be confronted with. That's a really great point because in the liturgy, uh, we read that the women prepared myrrh to anoint you and secretly came to your tomb early in the morning. They feared the boldness of the Jews, and they expected the soldiers to be keeping guard. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. And so they cry out, Arise, O Lord, protect us and save us, 
for the love of your name. And I think that's really true. And we saw that throughout all of the Holy Week services, you know, they talked about how, how Judas fell away and all of the other apostles fell away, you know, except John was at the foot of the cross with the group of women that were there. And they were the only ones that stayed there the entire time with Christ. And they were the ones who came back in the morning to, you know, fulfill what, you know, scripture had said and what was to be. And it was their receptivity. If, if I'm going to spread this story, who do I need to tell? <laughs> who can I count on to spread a story? And it's women. You know, you tell a guy something and yeah, they might hear it. They might forget about it for a while. But if you tell a woman, she's going to go call up her girlfriend and she's going to tell somebody else. And then she's going to tell somebody else. And then eventually it'll get to a group of guys and they'll keep telling them and keep telling them and keep telling them until everybody finally gets the idea. One really beautiful thing about women has to do with looking at Mary at the wedding feast of Cana and how, how the women, the myrrh-bearing women really emulated that, um, that intuition. Like, they, they kind of defied, they, I mean, the apostles were hiding in the upper room and they, they went out because they, they knew that's what they were supposed to do, just like Mary at the wedding feast of Cana knew that there was something wrong and she, you know, turns to Jesus and, you know, draws it to his attention and then leaves it up to him. And that's, the myrrh-bearing women were going out to do the job that they, they knew that they should do. And, and Christ met them in that and appreciated their holy boldness. Women have a different type of fearlessness than men. It might not be such um, of, in a physical way, but just this uh, fearlessness to pour ourselves out in love for Christ and to sacrifice ourselves. We, we live out a lot of the sacrifices that mothers, that physical mothers do, but in a spiritual way in sacrificing ourselves for our spiritual children. And when you were talking about the women that we saw during Holy Week, um, I'm reminded of uh, Mary who uh, broke the alabaster jar of ointment and poured it over Jesus' feet or over his head, depending on which gospel you read. And just this beautiful act of totally emptying herself, totally being vulnerable, and in that receiving the fullness of Christ's healing and his love. Well, ladies, if you don't mind, a man's going to step in here and just make a little comment on what you're commenting. <laughs> Again, I'm Father Thomas Lawyer here, of course, from, with uh, Light of the East, with Katie Gullis and the Myrrh-Bearing Women from Christ Abraham Groom Monastery. We're talking about a particular point, and Katie read that in the liturgical text. I'm going to read that again and comment on it. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. When we hear that word weakness, in other words, in reference to the women, as you're saying, Sister Julie, it does not refer to that women are by nature weaker than men, and that men are, are somehow superior, stronger. The weakness actually, it's actually a very rich word. It actually means precisely in their, their softness, in their tenderness, in their compassion, which we consider that to be weak, not in a uh, kind of a, a condemning sense, but in a sense of that it's the sort of the softer, the order of the softer part of life, you know, compassion, sensitivity, love, which needs to be protected. But what they were saying here is that that value, that, that character womanhood, triumphed over manly strength. That that, as you say, became another kind of strength which was actually, in a sense, superior or which was needed at that time to, to receive the message and to carry it. So it says, tenderness finds favor with God. We're going to talk more about the myrrh-bearing women on this Sunday of the myrrh-bearing women with the ladies who are here today on this Ladies' Day. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Can you imagine living a life without love, marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, or friendship? Of course not. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why do we desire these things so much? It is because God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a union and communion of persons who united Himself with us in what the Scripture describes as a mystical marriage, a fruitful self-giving. Scripture also says that we are made in God's image and likeness, so we too are called to become a union and communion of persons in fruitful self-giving. This is why we cannot imagine living without marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, and friendship. Pope John Paul II said in his Theology of the Body that these are the very things that make us most like God. To find out more about the Theology of the Body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about Him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic Churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. And again, we say Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. I'm Father Thomas Sawyer here on Ladies' Day on Light of the East because it is the Sunday of the Myrrh-Bearing Women in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. So I am joined here by ladies, Katie Goulis, as many of you know, and the sisters, the nuns, Eastern monastics, female monastics of Christ the Bridegroom Monastery in Burton, Ohio. Sisters, I have a question for you now that we have you on the phone. Could you tell us a little bit about your habit of dress and how it might be similar or different to uh, Western monastics? Like, what do you wear? What does it look like? Help our listeners Envision what you look like, basically, since they can't see you. Well, we wear all black. We have a long uh, black dress. Our arms are covered. Our legs are covered. We also wear a veil, which we call an apostle neck, which um, has an opening for our face that we pull our, you know, over our head, and then our face is shown through the front, but the veil covers the rest of our um, the rest of our head. And it goes down to our elbows. But pretty much we wear all all black. I think the good guys wear black, right, Father Tom? <laughs> Since we're talking about women, you know, there's many, many 
wonderful women in the Bible and throughout the church history, and not just the myrrh-bearing women, but in the fifth week of Lent, we celebrate St. Mary of Egypt, and we read her story during the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. And usually Father Tom gives me the honor of reading this long and wonderful story about this woman who basically led a life of, we'll say, ill repute in Egypt for many, many years until she saw a group of people going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And she decided that she wanted to go with them, not initially so that she could see the holy city, but so that she could kind of taint souls along the way and on her trip. But when she got there, she was moved to go into the church. But when she tried to, she couldn't make it through the doors. And she tried and she tried multiple times and was barred by some invisible force every single time she tried to go in. And so looking to the side, she saw an icon of the mother of God and she prayed to that icon and prayed through the intercession of the mother of God that if she was allowed to enter the church, then she would dedicate her life to Christ. She would be baptized and she would go and live out her days uh, in the desert by the Jordan River. And so when she tried to enter the church again, she was mystically allowed to go into the church and through the grace of God, dedicated her life to him until um, she was found in the desert by a monk named Zosimus. And what did she do? She asked him to bring her the Eucharist, right? And so he did. And the following year, he found that after she had received the Eucharist, she had passed from her earthly life to her heavenly life just after the moment that she had received the Eucharist. And I just think that's such a cool story that, you know, one encounter with Christ was so powerful that it caused a woman to turn her entire life around. You know, she was, she was not a great person. She, she probably would have been in the tabloids today. If there were tabloids back then, she would have been on the cover of every single one of them in Egypt. But because she turned her life around and because she was led into the church, it really, it really had a transformative nature on her. And I think that's such a beautiful story. And I think it shows that you shouldn't rule anybody out. You should look at every person as your brother and sister in Christ, whether they know that they are yet or not. So sisters, I'm wondering, are there any female saints that you at your monastery feel a particular devotion to? Are there any that you look to for guidance and inspiration? I think one of them, I should say think, but one of them especially being Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, is Mary Magdalene. That, again, another great sinner, a, a prostitute, and yet it was in her encounter her to Christ that um, she really found what her desire was, you know, this strong desire to be loved. And um, through the love of Christ, that, you know, she became a great saint was the one that was faithful to him, you know, even up to the cross and and finding him, um, you know, finding the empty tomb. And especially when, in, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes to her and she thinks he's the gardener and she asks him, please, sir, you know, if you know where he is, tell me and I'll take him away. Uh, that it's almost like this, this thought of um, the limitlessness of love that you know, this woman would be able to pick up, uh, you know, a corpse of a man and to take him away that she didn't even, she didn't see, um, her love was like limitless. Also, all of the women martyrs are great examples to us. That's these patron saint of St. Christina, who's an early Christian woman martyr. 
and we especially love the Troparium, which is a special hymn for the women martyrs, and it talks about their life being an offering of their of themselves for their bridegroom Christ. I think too. Um, I I entered on the the Sunday of the Samaritan Woman last year, and um, I had never heard of Saint Fontina, and until or that the Samaritan Woman had a name or any you know anything about that. But I think entering on on that particular feast of the church was a really beautiful. Um, witness to me of, of that gospel story, and it's really been something I've, I've prayed with for the last year, um, and I think she's very, the story is very inspirational to all of us um, about, you know, meeting Christ at the well, the well in our own life, and how um, we can go forth overflowing with the living water from, from our experience with Christ as our bridegroom. Okay, so there's a, a deacon who has been been really wonderful about supplying our monastery with icons, and one of the first icons that he had given us was an icon of a nun, and we had no clue who she was. And he had come later to visit, and he told us that it was St. Rothka. We didn't, I, I couldn't remember what the name was, again, and um, when we had our St. Nicholas celebration here in December, uh, someone had noticed a picture of her in the background and had said, oh, I see that you have a devotion to St. Ravka. She healed my aunt of, can- of cancer. And uh, so we've been learning more and more about her. And she's almost like the St. Therese of the Maronite Church. So I've been praying to her, especially for my sister Charmaine. And we were talking about St. Ravka. And a couple days later, just somebody emailed me, had no clue who he was, and heard about our monastery, and he said he just happened to have a relic of St. Rafka, and he had no particular devotion to her, would we want it? And uh, he sent it to us, so we received the relic you know, about a week later. It was really pretty awesome. So I think there's, there's something there, you know, with a relationship with her also. Now, what about you as Eastern monastics, female monastics, and the ultimate woman, the mother of God? What place does she have in your lives, Personally, your spirituality, your monastery, Eastern monasticism. She's really our model of openness to the Holy Spirit, um, hospitality. She's our mom. <laughs> <laughs> she she teaches us um, by her example how to not only to to bear Christ to the world, but but how to hold Him in our hearts. What it looks like to really embrace Christ within our very being, and how to to bring Him forth to the world. And Mother Theodora just picked up our Tipicon. We have a short paragraph about her role in our monastery. This is the Theotokos, our model. The nuns prayerfully invoke the intercession of the Theotokos and seek to emulate her model of humble poverty, passionate chastity, and vulnerable obedience. Her fiat penetrates and eradicates doubts and fears. She trusted the divine will when the invitation to be a virgin mother seemed absurd. And yet her absolute trust allowed her to be receptive to conceive, carry within herself the fire of the uncontainable God, and bring forth and nurture God incarnate for the redemption of the human race and cosmos. She is our joyful model. The Murbering women have much to show us all. 
whether we are men or women. And so we want to thank these Murbering women from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery for being with us today in Light of the East. I'm Mother Theodora. I'm Sister Julie. I'm Jesse. And as always, Katie Goulis. To find out more about these Eastern monastics from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, just visit their website at christthebridegroom.blogspot.com. That's christthebridegroom.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>